All right, welcome to the Gospel Gazing Podcast, where we seek to simplify Reformed theology and apply it to all of life in a gospel-centered way. I'm your host, uh, Wilson Van Hooser. I'm the senior pastor at Grace Presbyterian Church here in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And today, we actually have a very special episode where we are talking about uh, how the local church should think about artificial intelligence, particularly when it comes to local church ministry. And actually, and maybe to your relief, uh, instead of me doing all the talking today, I actually brought several of my friends uh, out here to help record this episode. Uh, we got Simon Devlin, Jonathan Hunt, and uh, my buddy Zach Bird from Raymond, Mississippi. And uh, so let me introduce you to these guys. Y'all know Jonathan Hunt. Jonathan's also my producer, so uh, you're basically always there. Uh, oh yeah, man. So tell us, tell us what you do and 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 why the topic of of AI interests you. Sure. So I'm a uh, a mathematics PhD student at Oklahoma State University, and so I'm sort of here today to bring maybe like an academic perspective to the discussion. And I so I think that um, why I'm interested in AI, it's 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 like it's pervasive everywhere. And there's not really any circle of life that is not going to intersect with. Um, and so there's, there's all sorts of reasons to kind of find it interesting and, and perhaps um, think about things that could possibly go wrong with it. For example, in economics, uh, where mm. the, the sort of revolution that happened to manufacturing, where most manufacturing jobs are now, are now obsolete because of, of automation could happen to uh, like white collar jobs, for example. What are graphic designers and paralegals and people like that going to do when AI can do things like that for us much more cheaply? Yeah, um, and that was that was sort of my jumping off point for thinking about AI a few years ago. And you know, now that it's here, I also see that it's going to intersect with a lot of academic issues as well. Uh, making things like ensuring students aren't cheating is now much harder. You know, using it as a study tool, like a, a chat uh, AI model, a study tool, can sort of shortchange your ability to actually learn and, and yeah yeah and develop your your own skills like that. So there's there's a great many things about AI that I find disheartening but also very interesting. I yeah. Guess, if that makes sense. No, that's great. I think that's that's really helpful. And that's why we got that's why we got Jonathan on here to really think about uh the learning process and the uh the academic side of things with AI and how Christians approach it. We also got on here another GPC Stillwater member uh, who is back, and you'll tell us where you're back from, but we got Simon Devlin. Uh, Simon, tell us, what did you just end up uh, finished doing, and uh, what are you interested in doing in the future, and why does this topic interest you? Yeah, thanks, Wilson. So I just wrapped up a one-year master's at the University of Cambridge studying industrial systems and management. So hopefully all the manufacturing jobs aren't obsolete, <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. that's what I'm looking for, is to um, work with AI tools in manufacturing context specifically. Um, and that's because my research was in how AI, specifically creative generative AI, affects the identity of the user um, just throughout the creative process. Um, and why I'm specifically, or I should say especially interested in this topic is that everyone that I interviewed, it just became such an existential topic so quickly um, and people, every single person was left questioning, what does it mean to be human? Where do I stand in relation to this AI? And how does it challenge my personal values? And that can just very quickly then uh, turn into an evangelistic opportunity of sharing the gospel and, um, or at least having the conversation about what they might think it looks like if we are these biological machines, quote unquote, um, maybe we're actually then created by someone and mm. what would they say about this? So. Yeah. yeah, and it was really our conversation, I guess, a couple of weeks ago that really actually kind of got the ball rolling on this that then morphed into this whole idea of, hey, let's start a podcast on this. So uh, so we're really excited to have Simon on here as well. And uh, we also have uh, my good buddy from the Jackson, Mississippi area who is in seminary with me. He is uh, the senior pastor of Raymond Presbyterian Church in Raymond, Mississippi, the legendary, who I always refer to as uh, one of my friends from Mississippi, Zach Bird. Zach, welcome to the Gospel Gazing Podcast. I'm glad to be here all the way in Mississippi. A couple things. I'm serving in Mississippi. I actually serve two congregations, Wilson, 
That's uh, true. That's true. Friend, you left that out. Forgive uh, me, please. I saw. I also serve a very small church called Bethesda Presbyterian Church. Um, I've been there five years. I've been at Raymond three. I'm married for 14 years. We have an eight-year-old and a six-month-old. And I will tell all the listeners that I had a whole lot more stamina when I was 26 than when I am now, <laughs> 35. Yeah. Uh, but why does this topic interest me? I want to pick up on what Simon said. He asked, how do I relate to AI? I think the question that we have to ask as spiritual leaders and pastors in our context is, how is AI going to change how we relate to God? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Carl Truman makes the point in one of those books, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self and how technology changes how we engage in the world and how we engage in spiritual disciplines. This is a titanic leap for yeah. how we understand the spiritual life. Yeah. And we'll we'll get into that actually very particular topic too of not just how it affects local church ministry, but even how it affects the Christian's devotional life and things like that. So, so we're really excited about this podcast, and uh, we have these different perspectives and different angles of looking at the Christian's approach uh, to artificial intelligence. Uh, what I wanted to kick off with is actually an article that came out yesterday from The Mirror, and it's this article that is titled, Church in AI takeover as sermon led by chat GPT in artificial intelligence breakthrough. Here's the, uh, I guess the subtitle of it or the kind of the blurb of the article. Artificial intelligence tool chat GPT was used to transform the tradition of a Sunday service at the Violet Crown City Church, a Methodist church in North Austin, Texas. So that's a very wordy title and subtitle, but basically what it is, is a church using AI, and in particular, uh, a platform called ChatGPT, uh, to literally take over and conduct a worship service. Uh, here's one of the quotes from the article. It says, the word of God has now been officially taken over by AI as proved by this robot-generated sermon which included humans worshiping. Uh, you can now forget the stereotype that religion is backwards as this Methodist church in Texas now uses artificial intelligence to conduct a service with chat GPT. Uh, the pastor uh, let, uh, as it were, I mean, literally, I guess, plug things in, type things in to let chat GPT, quote, conduct the whole service creating prayers, a sermon, uh, apparently an original song based on the sermon itself. Uh, here, here's what's interesting. Uh, it, the pastor said this, that the purpose of this whole thing was to invite us to consider the nature of truth and challenge our assumptions about what God can make sacred and inspired. Don't miss that word he uses there, inspired, and how it uh, is, is certainly maybe a dig at our view of the inspiration of Scripture. He goes on to say, what it actually became was a meaningful conversation about how we as followers of Jesus are to seek the sacred in every person, place, and situation in our life. For Scripture reminds us that when we seek God, we will find God. Um, there's a lot happening in this article here. Uh, there's, a, there's just... This isn't even the primary article we're going to discuss today, but certainly it just reveals that there's a lot happening with churches and their relationship with AI. So I think, Simon, this really comes to you as we dive into this. Uh, can you just tell us what what is AI, kind of, kind of as best as we can, give us a simple definition of what artificial intelligence is? Yeah, so I just think first off, the most important thing is that the artificial in AI actually is artificial, and it's not real intelligence. I think a lot of that really just comes down to the definition of consciousness and how little we actually understand what consciousness is. Um, but even in actually the secular uh, academic literature, there's a distinction between access consciousness, which is just uh, effectively the ability to be awake or asleep and a difference between two states, 
um, and this sense of self or I am, which is phenomenal consciousness. And that's not something that anyone really knows what's going on with, but it's very distinct to humans. Um, and this is not something that AI has. Um, I think the next important thing is the difference between narrow and general AI, where narrow AI is a model that's specifically trained for one task or at least a small number of tasks, whereas general AI is full simulated human intelligence. Um, it's important to note that right now, the only models in existence are narrow AI, and general AI is something that is most likely either in the distant, distant future or um, maybe more arguably not even attainable at all. Yeah, so it, it sounds from you like in a lot of ways we need to remember that when we think about artificial intelligence that it in fact is artificial. Um, and that is maybe a very providential part of the, the name of it being artificial intelligence. But why should Christians even think about interacting with this? I mean, is is this just something that's trending that we just probably don't need to worry about and we're kind of wasting time? But why, why do you, and you're based on your research and what you're seeing and, and as a Christian, why do you think Christians should at least be thinking about how to approach AI? Yeah, I mean, I think it is important to at least acknowledge the mm. new capabilities of AI that's different from tech that we've had in the past and that it can outperform humans in specific tasks for most most things or like more things than I ever would have imagined. Um, for example, since I was looking at um, art, there's a paper that discusses how AI-generated art, when trained on uh, in a specific way, can um, outperform human-created art even in human characteristics such as communicating emotion. So right there, you're already challenging just the sense of what it means to be human mm. and what makes us unique as, as creatures. Uh, and so I think in the past, it's been very easy to distinguish between us and animals, us and machines, um, but now the lines are getting very blurry. Um, as we mentioned earlier, it will most likely uh, be sailing in every, every profession, although some more than others. Um, but nonetheless will become a part of everyone's life. Most yeah. Likely. So you see it as being actually something that, uh, probably is the meaning that the church needs to bring a, back a, uh, a robust doctrine of what it means to be made in the image of God. Very much so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's fascinating. Um, without opening up a huge can of worms, but just quickly, I mean, should we view AI as morally and ethically neutral? Is it just purely objective? Or what What are some things maybe we need to know about it before we enter into this full conversation? Yeah, I think just simply put, um, AI is like any other creation and that in itself um, is most likely neutral. And it's then what we do with it that makes it evil or good. However, I will say that I think there's kind of a misunderstanding or ignorance of how much influence the developers have over the yeah. moral bent of the yeah. models. And depending on the morality and ethics and worldview of the mm -hmm. developers, that could then inherently um, infuse the model with bias that yeah. would make the, mo the model evil. And overall. that seems like what stood out in, in our initial conversations of hearing from you of, I, I was just stunned at how much of that of course you knew because humans create these things, so obviously there's that influence. But I was just stunned about how much I was hearing from you in those conversations about how you were interviewing these people who develop AI and how much there is that aspect to it. So I thought that was very fascinating. Okay, Zach, uh, a big thing here is, and what's going to lead us into this article here in just a second is the church's relationship with artificial intelligence. Uh, you're a local church pastor. And uh, as you came across this, even this other article from The Mirror about uh, Chat GPT conducting a worship service, uh, just tell us what were your first reactions? Let's read the subtitle Church in AI Takeover as Sermon Led by Chat GPT. Look at that word takeover. That's a military term used in colonial imperialism. Yeah. What do we think that term is communicating? It is communicating the idea of AI eliminating the role of what I would call an incarnational ministry. Mm. Where you're actually it, it, going back to the image of God, where that is a necessary component of ministry. 
Yeah. And what do you mean when you say incarnational ministry? Can you tell us what you mean by that? Well, let, let's just put it in practical terms. It's interesting that John chapter one says the word became flesh, not the word sent an email. Yeah. Or YouTube video. Or a YouTube video or a podcast even. Uh the word became flesh. And so if God deemed it necessary for his son to take on flesh to save us, and then he said, as the father sent me, so I'm sending you, he duplicates that ministry in us, a takeover by AI fundamentally undoes the nature of the ministry and our spiritual life altogether. Yeah. So you're saying, once again, it sounds like you're saying this is a pretty big deal for a, a church to think about its role in local church ministry. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan, you mentioned this earlier about how uh, AI is certainly coming into the academic world. And uh, you and I have both heard uh, some professors say how students need to use this for various you know, research projects or whatever it might be. Uh, how do you, how have you seen the use of AI in the academic world? Is it being promoted? Is it is it frowned upon, or what are you seeing? So I actually I haven't seen it being used. You might say like officially yet. Sure. Yeah. I've certainly heard of it being used. Uh, stories of like undergraduate students using it to write papers, for example, um, and definitely from a point of view that like <clears throat> that's not something that's condoned. You know what I mean? So most of the um, the faculty that I've talked to about for example, ChatGPT are very, you might say, negative about it. In fact, I had one professor who put a, a clause already, like just a few weeks after ChatGPT was released this year, uh, that you can't use ChatGPT in assignments. Like already that was in the syllabus. And so I thought, well, what would you be using ChatGPT yeah, for? Yeah. This, was a, this is a math course. Uh, so over the summer, I played around a lot with ChatGPT to sort of see what it could do uh, and what it was actually, like what the nature of it is. And the the amazing part is it rapidly got better uh, as it, it's sort of, I don't know how exactly it's developing, uh, if it's learning from from mistakes from users that are, are pointing out, for example, yeah, so Simon's nodding his head, yes. Uh, but for example, it'll do very basic things like it will integrate a function for you, it'll take the derivative of a function for you, it'll do things like this um, that could definitely make like undergraduate level homework yeah. much, much faster. Mm. So I think that that was the concern he was he was thinking of. While on the other hand, it could make, you know, a positive of that is it could make someone who's not particularly mathematically minded uh, able to now use the power of calculus, for example, to solve problems yeah. in yeah. practice. And so that's, that's not on the whole a bad thing. But that was, as far as in, in academics, like that's where I see it right now. It's not like you're being taught to learn to use it, for example, or... I mean, I think it's so new mm-hmm. that it's the first people innovating with it, you might say, are the undergraduates who have papers due tomorrow, yeah. I think. Yeah. The main part of the conversation we wanted to have is there's this article from Christianity Today from September 1st of this year, and it's titled this, a very, very uh, provocative title, I used ChatGPT for six months to help my pastoral ministry. Here's what worked. I mean... I think that just, I mean, it, it's, I'm not in a bad way saying this, but like it's clickbait for sure. I mean, it's, uh, it's worth clicking on to, to read. Uh, it, the article is, is, is well worth reading, but it's well worth reading in the fact that it's well worth interacting with rather than just uh, agreeing with everything. And that's actually what uh, we're going to do. In, in it are several very, very interesting quotes uh, that I, I, I wanted the four of us to interact with, really the three of y'all to interact with. Um, we, we've been talking already a little bit about chat GPT and uh, maybe some of our listeners are a little bit unfamiliar with it. Simon, can you just briefly tell us what exactly is chat GPT? Yeah, so the technical type of AI that chat GPT is, is a large language model or LLM. And a good way to think of it is that it's effectively the internet personified um, because what it does is it scrubs the internet through billions of points of data and then associates those the frequencies that it sees words connected with each other 
to <clears throat> then predict when you put type in one word, predict what the next word uh, will be. Yeah. Um, and I think a kind of funny way of illustrating it is from New Girl whenever Nick Miller is trying to lie to the police officer and he's having a nervous breakdown and says, I'm not sure I ever learned how to read. I've just memorized a lot of yeah. words. <laughs> and that's effectively what ChatGPT is. Yeah. Yeah. And that that, that kind of gets back into the whole uh, consciousness, all that of like, is is it just good at computing algorithms, things like that? Or does it actually know what it's saying? Yeah. And that's why you'll see these really goofy um, mistakes that ChatGPT makes with just simple arithmetic, because it yeah. doesn't actually understand the arithmetic. Mm. It just can scrub from online. Okay. Typically, when you see two plus two, what follows is four. Yeah. But it doesn't know that. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay, so one of the quotes early on in this article, it says this, the author says, several pastors point out that AI lacks physical, emotional, and empathetic abilities. Though I personally believe that this, these limitations may one day be overcome technologically. Uh, so how is this causing confusion at the moment. Simon, I feel like you've been, uh, at least of the four of us on the forefront of researching this. How is this quote maybe causing, or just AI in general, how's it causing confusion? Yeah, I think this stuff is super damaging because it's kind of like me. So I'm five foot eight and it's kind of like me saying I can't dunk right now, but I think that in the future I will be able to dunk. Yeah. And then not giving any reasons for why we'll be able to dunk or not. And in this case, it's not really even defining what empathy emotion is like it's not saying here are the limitations right now and because of the way uh because of the way the theory is moving it's going to be solved in a few years it's just like kind of throwing in the air okay well let's start interacting with ai as if it can already do this because it might one day um and that's very misleading because for example like physically um we're actually reaching many limits mechanically uh just because of like strength to weight ratios of of gears and whatnot for a kind of gross simplification but um you can't replicate human uh resolution of movement yeah. effectively um and so putting an ai into a machine doesn't necessarily change that um and again with emotion empathy it's just not that well understood exactly yeah. what that is and how to define it and so um it's yeah again just a uh it, this isn't what this guy is trying to do, but it can very quickly turn into fear mongering by just saying, be afraid of this is exactly the same as you be afraid of it, even though it's not true. Yeah. And I think the whole, uh, quote here about, you know, the empathetic abilities, uh, in a lot of ways, what we could say is that is literally a big role of the church and Christians empathizing with each other in the Christian life and things like that. So, uh, how do you see this affecting local church ministry and, and maybe the confusion there of like, you know, relating to people? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um, it's interesting. One thing I was just thinking is like, you know, psychopathic murders can be like diagnosed to not have empathy or like to, they're just not able to feel empathy, right? But if you, uh, what was the documentary from a few years back that was super popular with Zac Efron that was uh, uh, Ted, uh, Bundy. Okay. Ted Bundy. Like if you interact with Ted Bundy, it seems like he has empathy, right? Mm. And like I can very easily project that he has empathy. Yeah. And, but he doesn't. And I think in a similar way, I can interact with AI projecting that it cares about me and loves me, mm. but there's no actual weight to that. Yeah. Um, and uh, again, also it just doesn't like it doesn't understand human nature and human like functions, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And so all of this, you have um, just a lacking um, of interaction or relationship that you, that is natural in relating to humans. Yeah. And that doesn't even get into the spiritual uh, limitations, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about in a little bit, I think. So yeah, kind of go into now. Yeah. It, it, it kind of reminds me, you know, uh, what is the difference between manipulation and persuasion? Two things, truth and love. Um, Zach, you had mentioned earlier about how the incarnation of the Son of God, how that affects ministry. 
uh, God did not send us a podcast or <laughs> uh, a YouTube video or a hologram or chat GPT. He, he sent us himself. And uh, how do you see this affecting how we view ministry and AI? Let me just give a couple thoughts here. One, let's think about social media for a minute. Um, everyone has 5,000 friends, and but we're as lonely as we've ever been. And we have lost the ability to talk to people. Yeah. And so I fear that the response may be, hey, let's get on chat GPT and see how I can respond to Wilson's problem. Mm. I don't see that being a a healthy paradigm for pastoral ministry. Can I, can I ask you something on that? Because the very fact that you say, you know, we want to just solve the problem, uh, I feel like that's almost kind of getting underneath the foundation too a little bit of uh, a lot of ways we view Christianity today is that we just want our problems solved rather than being moved to worship. Well, Thomas Boston says in The Crook and the Lot that we are to better the person, not better their condition. What we see in the Gospel of Mark is Jesus is in the desolate place. He saw the great crowd and he had compassion on them, not because they were hungry, but because they were sheep without a shepherd. Then he fed them and he taught them. Yeah. Focusing on the person, not necessarily the condition only. Chat GPT and other AIs are going to focus only on the condition, not the sanctification, not the growing in Christ likeness. Mm-hmm. It doesn't know what that looks like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a uh, there's another quote in this article uh, a little bit further down from that quote we just mentioned. Uh, it's, the author says they note that AIs. I think they, as in people who do not approve of AI use in ministry, they note that AI's social bias, monopolization and lack of spirituality when it comes to data labeling. But these are the same dilemmas humans are facing. Uh, I think, once again, that goes all the way back uh, to what, Simon, you were mentioning earlier, just, you know, how, how are we distinguishing what is the, uh, uh, the Imago Dei being, being made in the image of God? Um, it, is it really the same dilemma? Or, or what, what do you see there? Yeah, I think there's two things that come to mind. First um, is that it's a gross underestimation of the bias of AI and actually saw several studies where in the creation of an AI model, even if it's trained on a biased data, like database already, even in the process of training, it can exacerbate the bias. So it's not like it's an exact representation of what's already there, which I think is sometimes how that's marketed. Um, but can even make it worse. So just to that's just to establish like the severity of the bias in these models mm. and to kind of break down the view of that it's objective truth and an objective representation of what it's trained on. Um, then I think the other difference is there's a difference between lacking spirituality and a complete inability to be spiritual in any regard, which yeah. is what AI is. And so whereas I might, like if I don't have a relationship with Christ, I may not have any ability to be uh, spiritual, but the Holy Spirit can empower me to do that. The Holy Spirit can't do that for AI. Um, mm. and so that's a big difference mm. uh, that comes to mind as well. Yeah. Well, and, and I think this gets into a big thing too, because uh, we, we see this in this article. We see this uh, in the article we mentioned at first, but the whole notion of pastors writing their sermons. Um. Zach, when it, when it comes to sermon preparation and developing sermons, you know, a, as pastors, uh, as either solo pastors or senior pastors, it, it's the main thing we do every week. Um, what are some of your concerns about people who want to write their sermons or maybe even have Chat GPT preach their sermons? Uh, what what are some of your concerns about that as we think about what Simon's talking about with the role of the Holy Spirit. 
We might need another podcast to cover all of my yeah, that's true complaints. Uh, but I have you know just a couple of of thoughts. I am totally biased every time I write a sermon. Why? Yes, I love my people. I love my people, and I pastor two churches. They're very different. They're like apples and oranges. Uh, and my sermons, you know, my my running joke is that the sermons are the same, but the jokes are different. But yeah, there's yeah. a lot of truth there because they're two different people in two different situations with two different sets of problems. I am totally biased in the way I address them. Chat GPT will never love them the same way I love them, the same yeah. way Christ loves them. That affects the delivery of the gospel and how you exegete a passage, how you frame a sermon, the tone of your delivery. It affects everything. Okay, so let me... That GPT can't love me the same way you love me, Wilson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, okay, so let me ask you this. You know, the uh, a bunch of the old preachers, they used to say whenever there was... Uh, this very much felt power in preaching. They they used this word. They said it was preaching with unction. And it was the idea that uh, you know, God is always at work when 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 he's when when people are faithfully preaching his word, when men who are ordained are preaching the word of God. Uh, we believe God's always at work. But then there are the times where even more especially it, it's weighty, glorious, powerful. Uh, can chat can chat GPT preach in unction of the spirit? Not in any way, you know. And it's as I was getting ready for this, you know, I'm I, I'm a southerner, you know. I I walk places. We make smoke signals to, you know, we're we're old school down here. Uh, so I got on Chat GPT and experimented, and I said, "Write me a sermon on Psalm 23 for Presbyterians, theologically." It was spot on. Three points, three illustrations. It was as Presbyterian as you could imagine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was dead words. Yes. Yeah. It lacked unction, feeling. It was words, words, words. Any idiot can speak words. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, even the... The I am a person who has been face to face with God this week. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, I just like to add one thing is that that's not something that just pastors notice too, but throughout the creative community, whether it's videographers, uh, choreographers, um, or just graphic designers yeah. who use generative AI, they feel the inability of AI to communicate emotion mm -hmm. and generate emotion. Um, and so it seems to be a consistent weakness that's, that is especially important in preaching. Yeah, yeah. Can I add something else? Yeah, yeah, come on. So your story about the Psalm 23 reminded me of something. When I first started playing with ChatGPT, one of the things I did was I said, give me an interpretation of Romans 9 from a Reformed perspective. And it did it like perfectly. And then I turned around and said, okay, now give me Romans 9 from a Wesleyan interpretation. And it did that. It gave me like the exact opposite. So it, one of the things that I thought was interesting about that, first of all, was how good of a job it did. But also that like, sure, I mean, AI is biased by the outside, people on the outside of you. But I think the even bigger bias is yourself because you're telling it what you want and mm. it's making it for you. And so now you're sort of outsourcing your own opinions to this thing that's just getting its, its instructions from you. So you're making your theology or maybe even your God in your own image at that point. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me, okay, let me ask you a question. Though. This, is, this is a little bit devil's advocate, Zach. Can can a pastor ever use Chat GPT in the sermon preparation process? I mean, is you know, I, I could I could anticipate someone saying, "Well, you know, pastors use uh, you know commentaries or Bible software." When, when when is when if there is you know, first off, is there a legitimate use of it? But then you have to discern between what's legitimate versus what's wise. Uh, that's that might be a whole other thing. But then, yeah, just interact with that a little bit for me. My my gut reaction, and I have to be completely honest with my bias, biases, I don't even like using a Kindle 
Okay, I'm old school. I like yeah. These there you go. Come on, man. Books. I don't know if y'all, you know, I don't know if y'all heard of those. So I am technology averse by nature. However, I've got a friend who works for Linux software. He has no computer engineering background, but he uses Chat GPT to cover his deficiencies and knowledge when he's talking to engineers. The problem mm. is it covers his deficiencies, but he's not learning anything. In ministry, to use AI in that fashion shortcuts spiritual growth. It's not simply about, we're not brains on a stick transferring information from one to another. We are meant growing in grace in the process of feeding our sheep. We're being fed in the process of feeding. And so we even think of things like us men here. How many of you know your mother's phone number? How all all of us are raising our hands, yeah. Even, even J.R. Biggs, who's here listening in. I am amazed because most people do not remember phone numbers anymore. Yeah. Why? We store them in an external hard drive. It's called mm. a phone. Um, we don't remember addresses. People are losing their retention in Bible memory. Yes. Apply that to the pastor preparing sermons. Yes, chat GPT might be able to get me the information quickly, but am I retaining it for future pastoral use down the road? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, Zach, you mentioned something earlier that I think uh, we had this in our notes to get to later, but I think it's worth getting to now. The learning process. Um, not just for the pastor, uh, and, and we'll come back to actually how this affects like devotional living, things like that. But I think even just the learning process, uh, Jonathan, you, you uh, obviously being in academic uh, circles, you know, there, there is a grand difference between people who can just spit out information versus people who know what they're talking about. There is a way in which it's one thing to learn something just for a test versus to really know it. Can you tell us a little bit about just the learning process and the limitations of chat GPT in that. Right. So first of all, I mean, learning, learning is very peculiar because at one moment you don't know something and then later on you do, and you don't really know when exactly that took place. Right. So that's what learning is. And that's not something that you can kind of by force of will make happen. All you can really do is, do things that inevitably result in you having later learned something like reading a book or paying attention in a class, for example. But you can't just will yourself to know something that you don't or to have a skill that you don't currently have, right? That's not how that works. It's very, it's a very strange uh, and actually sort of definitionally creative thing, I think. Mm. Um, but I think two analogies uh, sort of spring into mind to summarize my concerns of of AI and what it might do to, you know, individual learning for people. And one is like, you can have, you can have a machine that can lift more weight than a human can, or can go faster than a human can. Using that machine would not help someone be able to lift more or go faster than they currently can. Right. So my car has in no way made me be able to run faster. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Right. And so the only way that you can actually do that is to do things that are very basic and are not objective based objective in this case, meaning like goal-based. They're not goal-based. They are like practice or exercise, right? So whenever you were playing football, you probably had to do a lot of different stuff that was not playing football to get better at playing football. Yes, correct. Right? Yeah. Lots of lifting weights, lots of running and doing exercises and things yep. like that. And that's what actually made your body better at playing football. You have to do the same thing if you're going to learn math or if you're going to learn how to play a musical instrument or if you're going to learn anything at all, you have to do rudimentary things that, you know, some kind of tool would make very much easier for you. Yeah, and you have yeah. to not use it in order to get better at it. Yeah. Right? Um, and then, on the other hand, you don't look at, at some piece of technology, and just because it makes life easier and precludes someone from getting better at that thing themselves by using it, and say, well, we shouldn't use that thing, you know? You're still going to get in your car because it can go much faster than you can run, 
because sometimes you need to do that. Another analogy uh, is I once knew this guy who had been an engineer at Tinker Air Force Base for years and years and years. He was an older guy. This was back in the 50s when the B-52 came out. And he had designed something. I don't know what it was exactly, but it was some kind of problem that they had where when the bomb bay doors would open, like a missile or something would, instead of going out of the airplane, would fly back into the airplane and that's not what you want to have happen. Yeah, yet, yeah. Right? So this this guy had had fixed that problem somehow. And, I mean, the B-52 is, you know, like I say, it, it's been around for like 70 years, right? And so he tried to retire like three times, I think it was, and he kept getting called back because none of the newer engineers knew how to work on this project. Huh. Right? And because he had made this problem go away, well, anytime it popped up, they had to have him back to be able to fix it. Yeah. And then new generations come up that don't know how to fix this this thing. So in the case of, uh, like, Zach, you're mentioning someone who communicates with, I think you said, engineers uh, using, yeah, using using chat GPT. That's like a great thing. It allow, it's going to allow people that had, don't know anything about programming to write simple programs, for example. Sure. Stuff like that. But at what point have things become so easy for us that no one knows how those fundamental things work? to be able to work on the system itself when it breaks. Well, and, and, and here's something that I think is even interesting too, is uh, when have we lost just enjoying something just for its own sake? Yes, that's true. Zach, yeah, what, what, yeah, what are your thoughts? You made the thought your car has not made you run faster. I would argue that our car has made us run slower. Yes, Because we don't have to use our legs as much. So in the same way, you write a sermon using AI with on grief. And then your church dies and you have to pastor to that family. Well, you have not wrestled with the issue of grief yourself. So what are you going to do? Like get the app, you know, hang on a second. Let me type this in. Yeah, 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 exactly. No, I think that's a good point. Yeah, because... I think years ago, Babylon B had uh, made uh, a joke about all the virtual church campuses and things like that. And they'd said, you know, the virtual pastor is not there to actually shake your hand after the sermon. And uh, I think that kind of flows in this same area as well. And Zach, you'd mentioned it earlier where there's just a grand difference between being able to look someone in the eye that you know that you've grieved with before and to be able to say, I'm so sorry for your loss, um, rather than giving some elaborate intellectual answer. And uh, with John Owen, John Owen was a chaplain in Cromwell's army, buried hundreds of people, buried his wife and I think 11 children. Shouldn't shock us that he has some of the best writings on the glory of Christ. Yeah. Intimately. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's really true. Um, There's another quote here that I want to get to. Uh, He says in this article, many have cautioned that AI will have an ideological bias, but we can actually use the intelligence of chat GPT to examine whether our words could unintentionally offend congregants with different political identities and positions. Um, Simon, surely there's no uh, bias behind ChatGPT and a lot of the people who are making this. Surely they don't have their own political identities, right? Yeah, so I think it's pretty interesting because like, if we go back to ChatGPT, it's getting its ideological preferences from one way or or from one of three ways, I guess it's either scrubbing uh, information from the internet and representing that exactly how it found it. So you have the ideological bias of the world. And then in that sense that you're following or the developer stepped in and injected their own ideological bias. Yeah. uh, Hopefully in a more ethical, good way to sort of protect the user against AI or like Jonathan was mentioning earlier, you're injecting your own bias into AI and it's just reflecting onto you yourself. Mm-hmm. And so either way, it's not objective and it's not, um, it's not good. And I think that the whole point is like, <laughs> of course, if 
I can, if I'm going to go and research, okay, how am I not going to offend anybody and not yeah, um, yeah. misrepresent any idea, then I will uh, be able to do, quote unquote, a better job of staying neutral, I guess, which again, probably isn't even the point that you're trying to hit on as a pastor. Um, not sure neutrality exists. Yeah. Not in the sense that you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thomas Watson once said, you're either serving God or the devil. So the idea of being concerned of of being neutral, that doesn't exist at all. Well, there's an old saying that going back to preaching is, you know, two of the goals of the preacher is to think, you know, as we're faithful to the word of God, we are to comfort the afflicted, but we are also to afflict the comfortable. Zach, we seem to be overly focused today about making sure we never ruffle any feathers, that we never have a God who disagrees with us. That kind of sounds like a second commandment issue to me. But I, I think this whole notion of being fearful about losing hearers, I think, how, how do we wrestle with this as pastors? Because we don't want to be needlessly offensive, but our goal is to be faithful. I think it's helpful for us to preface everything with, thus saith the Lord. Good. Uh, instead of, thus saith chat GPT. Yeah. Yeah. How do you think... Uh, how do you think Luther might have responded to uh, that that quote there about not wanting to uh, offend congregants with different identities and positions? I can tell you, Luther probably would have said, hmm, uh, let's see, my, my AI, which is a Luther insult generator, you yeah. undisciplined heads who out of utter perversity are able to do nothing in common or in agreement, but are different and self-centered in heart and life. Right. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Luther. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think, I think we, m- many of us would not have survived with their uh, language back and forth to each other back then. The article goes on to say, I believe AI offers, offers ways for pastors to more efficiently work and to balance their many responsibilities. I mean, that's true. But every job has many responsibilities and things you have to balance. But in, particularly in the realm of the local church pastor, it, it is helpful to be reminded, uh, Zach, what, what are the main responsibilities of the local church pastor and where, where are the times we need to mark off the boundaries even from chat GPT to say, no, this is only something that I do? As a Presbyterian... Everything I do can be summarized in four P's. Preach, pray, pastor, and party. There we go. You had me at the fourth one. So uh, that's it. And I don't need chat GPT's help in any of those. Uh, Yeah. Ephesians 2, Paul says, Christ came and preached peace to you who were far off. He's talking to the church at Ephesus. I've never seen Jesus take a summer vacation to Ephesus in the Gospels. Have you? He's working through Paul. Mm. I have somebody interceding for me in heaven. That's Jesus Christ. Yeah. I'm an under-shepherd of the good shepherd. He's pastoring me. And I like to think Jesus likes to have fun. He fills us with more joy than when their wine and grain abound. So Yeah, yeah. Jonathan, uh, obviously we understand we, we, we want to be efficient. We want to get things done. We, we want to honor the Lord with our work. But once again, the learning process and, th- and just enjoying what we're learning takes time. H- how do we go about balancing that idea of getting things done, but yet also wanting to slow down and just enjoy what we're doing just as being creatures of uh, our King? Can I think yeah. of a way of wording that? Is there a difference today, whether it's in academia, industry, ministry, between being effective and being efficient? Uh, I think, yeah, you're on to something there. Right. Um, So I I was going to say, I think one thing that it could do is shorten people's attention spans even more. 
than already has been done because everything in our world now technology especially is is vying for our attention and our attention spans have gotten very very short and in order to actually be effective as opposed to just merely efficient at something sometimes you do have to really study a problem for a long time and think about it uh and maybe even to enjoy something i think about you know some things are enjoyable immediately and then some things actually are acquired tastes and the things that are sometimes the best in life are the acquired tastes and that can be, you know, in music or like, you know, bitter coffee or something like that. If you're not going to ponder over a problem for long enough to really appreciate it, then how are you ever going to know, you know, whether you're going to be good or effective at that thing? And so I think it, it really could have a, a very uh, detrimental effect for that reason. I wanted to come to Simon real quick uh, on this, this might seem like a little bit of a rabbit trail, but it, this popped into my head. I think of the four of us, Simon, you're the most recent out of undergrad. College students are learning to follow the Lord, whether for the first time or whether for the first time really as being more independent. It's very intriguing as a college student, as you're learning how to do your own devotions and things like that, you're asking people what works for them and what works here. You can follow a lot of trends, but nothing replaces just slowing down and just meditating on the glory of Christ in prayer. Uh, in, in, In thinking about the devotional life and maybe words for college students in this and uh, maybe uh, someone who if they just they're chasing the temptation or they just want to know all the facts so they just go to chat gpt for everything how would you counsel them in that of trying to show a young man or young woman how they can genuinely grow in knowing the lord in college yeah well, i think like you hit on there's kind of a hard to grasp just deep richness of sitting in silence with the lord And I think that's where you develop a lot of just the relational awareness of God as a person um, rather than just like, you know, empty space that you're praying to or spending time with. And again, just like any relationship, it takes time to foster and um, grow in. And I I definitely have noted, like, like, for example, (laughs) I noticed whenever I was going to undergrad here, I was driving everywhere, probably like 10 miles per hour over the speed limit. But then once I went to Cambridge and was cycling and walking everywhere, yeah, yeah. I came back and I'm not in as much of a rush. <laughs> yeah. And life is way more peaceful and less filled with worry. And and yeah, definitely all of my uh, friends that are still in undergrad, there's just a dominance of busyness um, every single day. And you can, you can, it's really sad because you kind of fear, you feel the weariness and the worry that's, yeah. that's there. And yeah, so to sum it all up, I think is just try and communicate how, amazing and loving the gift is of just resting um, mm. in God's presence rather than trying to maximize your efficiency. Um, Cause again, I think it just goes to show that like, or it just helps you internalize God is sufficient. God's creation is sufficient. I don't need to get every ounce of this world that I can. So, yeah. Yeah. And it, that, that gets into the whole notion that as humans we're made up of body and soul. Uh, let's not forget that part. Zach, as you think about your own personal devotions, uh, not just in sermon preparation, but just as a Christian, because before pastors were, were Christians first and foremost, uh, you know, we, we are called to worship the Lord. Uh, and someone who's made up of body and soul, um, not just a brain, but a mind as well. H- how do we work on seeking genuine as John Owen used to put it, communion with God and meditating and beholding his glory by slowing down. Even this kind of affects just not just AI, but even just broader technology. Well, one thing, you know, we're talking body and soul, but the other thing that we have to grasp is our finitude. Yes. You know, Herman Bovink says, Mystery is is at the heart of all Christian theology. And what does mystery entail? If you've ever played board games, Clue is a much slower game than Connect Four. Yeah. And it's intentional. It's a mystery. You have to think and dwell and, and spend time meditating 
So this idea of chat GPT entering into our devotional life is the finite trying to grasp at the infinite is mm. getting as much as we can into this little brain from so-so Mississippi instead of just <laughs> sitting in front of God and going, wow. Yeah. You know, yeah. I want to be the Christian if who's a, tr- a pilgrim that can sit there and just look at something beautiful instead of saying, all right, we got places to go. Come on, let's go. We got to see this, 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 this. Yeah, good. Let's stop and enjoy whatever truth comes to us as we're reading the scriptures and, and communing with him and enjoying the communion of the saints. The things he has revealed to us, treasure them. Yeah. Be okay yeah. with the secret things we don't know. Yeah. Zach, you, you had mentioned this earlier too of uh, chat GPT does not know sanctification. And, and I can give you a definition of sanctification. Uh, it can give you definitions of certain doctrines as historically defined, wherever it can draw them from. But when it comes to the Christian life, we can often forget that Scripture not only gives us doctrinal propositions, but it also gives us the narrative of how people are learning to live in light of those doctrines. Um, in a lot of ways, we, can, we need to remember that when Scripture gives us doctrine, it is saying, this is what sanctification is, but then it also speaks to our experience in learning to live in light of those truths. How do we need to remember that chat GPT is limited in that and, and speaking to the real authentic experience of an individual Christian who's right in front of you? Well, let's let's think of First Thessalonians chapter three. Pa- Paul says, God's will for your life is your sanctification. That is a doctrinal statement. But when we move to the end of First Thessalonians, He says, the Holy Spirit will sanctify you body and soul. We forget that it is not information that sanctifies us. It is the work of the triune God, particularly the Holy Spirit, that sanctifies us. It is communion with a person, not with a set of words. What was the quote earlier? I don't think I've ever learned to read. I just memorize words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I've never learned to be holy. I've just memorized doctrines. Yeah, there's a a grand difference between knowing information versus what Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. We do have to remember Satan knows more theology than we do, but that does not make him a believer. Now, obviously, we, we, we've been speaking, you know, frankly, just very negatively in a lot of aspects about this. Uh, we're, we're not trying to be Debbie Downers, but we are trying to make sure we keep first things first and make sure we, we view everything through the lens of Scripture. And we do want to interact with these uh, different areas of technology. What are ways in which we can redeem AI? We, we've mentioned a little bit throughout our conversation, but, but what are the ways in which we can redeem AI? Uh, and how might we encourage Christians to actually start doing that? Simon, I'd love to hear just what you think, especially as you've researched and interviewed a lot of people and you, you've kind of been more on the front lines of seeing maybe where people can get involved at a foundational level. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good, great question. And I, um, I just think it's important to start off with like, no one really knows. <laughs> and I think that there's a lot of uh, I mean, everyone is scared and trying to grasp um, exactly what this is going to look like, but we really don't know. Um, and so I think that's important to preface that with this. But sort of the litmus test that I've been using for is this a good use of AI or not is how does it interact with ideas? And so is AI giving you an idea? Are you looking to AI to give you ideas or interpret ideas? That's so really good. Will um, Am I asking... ChatGPT to define what love is for me? Ooh, or good, am I tell- asking ChatGPT to read a verse in scripture and then interpret to me what that means? I wouldn't use it for that. Um, however, I think actually Jonathan mentioned this the other day. It could be a great use as um, sort of just a bare bones search engine of where in scripture is love mentioned. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah, point yeah, up all yeah. the cross references. That's fantastic. 
Um, I think also just another one that comes to mind is many administrative tasks in the church could sure. uh, very easily be streamlined with AI um, and then free up the pastor for the four P's um, that yeah, Zach yeah. mentioned earlier. Especially party. Especially, Especially party. party. Yeah, That's yeah. what we're looking for. Yeah. My head. So but, I think in a lot of ways, what I'm hearing is like there, there really is no wrong way to try to redeem this. It, like there are wrong ways to use it, but there's not necessarily just one avenue of like, okay, if you're really going to affect AI, then go here. I mean, there, you think we can just find any way we can to use it well and in a Christian way. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Again, like computers, for example, like I think yeah. that's a good, uh, a good sort of example to use. Like there's a lot of evil that has come from computers, but also a lot of good. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so it totally, I think gives us a lot of freedom to use with it mm-hmm. or yeah, just to use in our approach to um, exploring AI as long as we're aware of sort of the ideological biases slash dangers that come in. And again, like I think it's really comforting to know that the Holy Spirit is over all of this and uh, each church that is approaching this will have that guidance and wisdom and discernment. So it's not something to fear, I think, which is what yeah, a lot of people sort of feel at the moment. Yeah. Jonathan, how about you? How, how do you see Christians being able to approach AI and use it in an ethical way, whether it comes to just normal life or when it comes to academic research and uh, or even maybe teaching? One really positive thing that it could do is, uh, well, in my field of mathematics, like, so the the last person that understood all of mathematics, he's been dead for like 100 years now, <laughs> or pretty close to it. It goes to show you that the, the field is so large and intractable that no single person can know every corner of it. Yeah. And uh, and so that's why, and that's, I think that's that's all across sort of every field of human knowledge. Now you can kind of say the same thing of everything that's been written in theology or philosophy even. Um, so if, if you're going to deal with very, very large amounts of information, this could be a very good tool for helping with that. Yeah. And if you look at times when academic progress was was maybe the greatest, it's when you have individuals who are good at multiple fields who are able to synthesize things together. And what we have now is a situation where everything is very specialized, right? So you go and do your your PhD for six years and you get very narrow and deep knowledge in one particular thing. And that's not very good for sort of cross pollinating academic ideas. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so this could be something that, that helps bring sort of a sense of polymath back to, to academic thought. Yeah. That's helpful. Do you want to feed off that? Simon? Maybe in theology also. Yeah. Yeah. That just sort of randomly, I guess, uh, brought up another example that I thought AI is actually very helpful, uh, to use in, which is just reviewing and editing the ideas. And so yes. I think that's one of the safer ways to use it is yeah. if you have already done your work, like say even for, if you're writing a book as a pastor or something yeah. like that, you have your ideas there. You just need to make sure it's grammatically coherent yeah. than running it through ChatGPT 5 or whatever it is yeah. at the time. Yeah. And that I don't know if they had the chat GPT version. If I wanted to write a book and make it sound like Zach's voice or or just make it sound like my voice, you know. I, I don't know if I've uh, it's like. Pretty, can, it's pretty good at that. Is it pretty good at as that? As long as you have a very distinctive style, yeah. I mean, it's, oh man. So one thing about AI is is it's it's delightfully fun to play it's with. Got to have a sure. lot of y'alls in there. I've taken um. I've taken uh, pieces of text and ma- said make it sound like King James or make it sound. Like, oh yeah, all right. Well, know, never mind. I, you I could stand say corrected. make it sound like Mississippi, and it'll do. Yeah. It right. Well, you got to make it sound like so so Mississippi. That's the key yes. right there. Yeah. Zach, as a local church pastor, uh, and even obviously we don't uh, despise technology. We're using this right now to have you even minister to our people up here in Stillwater. But as a local church pastor, how would you pastor your own people? What would you want to say to your own people who are listening, but then also to our own people about how to, any last thoughts about how to approach this as a Christian? I have really two thoughts. The first one is an air of caution. We've had smartphones for how many years now? 10 years, 15 years? I don't know. Gosh, 15 Uh, years maybe? 15 maybe. Uh, Yeah. And we're just now starting to see the effects of smartphones on our sanctification. Yes. Uh, A lot of books have come out recently. I've got one on my shelf about how smartphones have changed how we read the Bible. Yeah, see this in in biblical theological studies, where we're very much much text driven because of our heavy use of accordance. Mm. 
mm. concept driven that you can't really put that into a a a program of that sort. Yeah. First one I'd want to air is is take it easy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other question I'd want to say is use it to grow in your love of Christ. It mm. gives us the opportunity to cut corners, whether that be in efficiency. Um, that raises a lot of moral questions on obedience to Christ. That's good. Does this make me love Christ more? Mm. Christ less. Yeah. Ultimately, that that needs to be the deciding point of how I use it. If it's making me more efficient so that I can better worship with my family or spend more time in the word or I serve the church in various capacities, what, what is it doing? It's not neutral. Neither is our engagement with it. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I think my only last thoughts would be is Chat GPT might or or any forms of AI. I've seen people say, "Hey, make me a picture of what the glory of God will be like in heaven." But let's make one thing clear: no eye has seen, no ear has heard what is going to be revealed to us. Nothing replaces the fact that the Christian is in spiritual union with Christ. And one day we will see him face to face in his glory and we will be transformed into that image. And, and, and nothing can replace preparing for that other than just communing with him and meditating on his glory. So brothers, I think this is a really, really profitable conversation. And uh, I think it certainly could be teased out in numerous different episodes, but we hope that this was helpful uh, for our people and uh, we'd love for you to uh, even find us at some other point, or maybe you can send in some questions. And uh, we hope this is helpful uh, here on the Gospel Gazing Podcast, where we want to talk about theology and apply it to all of life for the glory of God. So thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.